Talk with Tyson Bryden. Welcome to Nonstop Rock Talk. I am your host, Tyson Bryden. On today's show, I am very happy to welcome a bassist who's played with many great bands, including a very long stint with Quiet Riot, as well as House of Lords, to Freya, and a long list of other musicians. He's now embarked on a solo career, so to speak, I guess you would call it. Please welcome Chuck Wright. Chuck, great to have you. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for, thanks for having me now. No problem. How's Toronto? Toronto's good. Good. Better it's right. uh, We've been lucky this week. We actually have uh, weather in the teens here for late October. Well, That's it's good. summer out here. I'm in Southern California. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's summer. You know, it was 90 degrees last week. Anyway, so. That's good. Yeah, no, I look forward we're coming back to Toronto one of these days. I love that town. It's great. Yeah, it's always always a good time. And as we were speaking before um, we started the interview, I mean, the last time I saw you in Toronto was on the Rock Never Stops tour, which was right. it's funny that you mentioned 2005, and it seems like it was yesterday. Well, that's what we were talking about. It's like it does seem like it's yesterday, and I played with Alice Cooper, and that was like 20 years ago now, yeah. almost. Yeah. And the QR, the Quiet Riot Mental Health was. 40 years sell up, you know, coming up. It's, it kind of freaks me out, really. The time has been going by that quick. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's mental. Um, but as, as I kind of alluded to, you have a new solo effort entitled Chuck Wright's Sheltering Sky. Yes. Uh, you've just released, I guess it would be the third video entitled Throne Stones. Um, actually, I have four out. Okay. Um, and uh, Throne Stones is, is one I put out a little while ago, and I decided to reinvigorate putting getting attention on on that particular song as as this war in ukraine seems to be increasing yeah i'm just trying to draw attention and not let that disappear from everybody's radar um the song is an anti-war song um and it was lyrically written by joe retta and he came up with the vocal melodies for it i sent him the tracks and pre the russian invasion it was like i mean a, a month and a half before um, he sent me these lyrics, and I said, wow, this is interesting. It's an anti-war. I go, I'm, I'm all about it. I love the message. Basically, um, throwing stones relating to when we first uh, were humans walking this earth, you know, we got our way by throwing stones at each other, and um, and and now we're throwing grenades and launching missiles, and when are, when are we going to learn? You know, how long will it take before we learn is one of the lines in the in the lyric. And the, the, the song's an aggressive funk tune that one reviewer compared to uh primus meets stevie wonder it's a cool song which is which if you're listening to it i, I go i hear those those elements definitely and mitch perry um who you might know uh, did the solo on it yeah. he, he's a killer and um it the track itself is from uh i did these these sessions some years back with my late friend pat torpy from mr big yeah and we get together with me him and lanny cordola who you might know from from um, house of lords and we just would get together and just write songs and we were doing some music uh, library stuff for movies and and pat pat said oh i really love that levy breaks sample that bjork used in army of me and i and we both everybody in the room would go oh, i love that song and we just jammed on it i'm not even playing the correct bass part you know and i i was going through some files and i found these songs and there's three songs on my album from those sessions that are basically just bass um rhythm guitar and there's some soloing on army of me though from lanny and and um and drums by with pat yeah and they were so good i go i, I you know to honor him and not to just let these songs like disappear into space 
um, I wanted to finish them. So I took those tracks and I finished them. So Throwing Stones is one of them. And um, this, there's um, the Army of Me song is one, you know, and uh, It Never Fails is another one, which is more funk rock oriented that has uh, my friend Jeff Scott Soto singing lead on it. Um, and Scotty Hill from, from Skid, Row. Uh, Skid Row is playing the solo in it. Cool. Yeah. I mean, what... I mean, what kind of got me was the fact that, um, I guess as doing a solo album, you're kind of given the opportunity to maybe do stuff that you normally wouldn't get to do, because usually you're playing, a lot of times you've, for years, you've played someone else's songs or, you know. Or you're in a band environment and you have a cutout right. sound that you have. There's, yeah. First off, I never intended on doing a solo album. This was, this was just me, COVID hit. I'm locked in. I decided to start composing again. I didn't, you know, I had no agenda. I just started um, writing songs art for art's sake and doing songs and music that I would want to hear. So when you're listening to the record, um, you get, you know, so many different styles. It's it's covering everything, you know. Yeah, yeah, and well, I'm, not everything. I mean, there it's hard rock, jazz fusion, progressive rock. There's even a folk country kind of song that's like. Uh, Robert Plant um, and um, Alison Krauss's thing that they have. Uh, and I actually have a Celtic piece on there with fiddle, three drummers doing tribal drumming. And the singers, David Victor, who sang with Boston, is a good friend of mine. Excuse me. No problem. I mean, uh, <laughs> on Army of Me, um, you mentioned that, you know, that you might not be playing the same, the normal bass line, but that bass line kind of stands out to me. It's, oh, it's real powerful. It's, it's, it's so not powerful. Identical, but it's very close in the bass. You know, I'm a bass player, so bass is featured. I have a, I have some songs where um, there'll be a passing part where you'd expect to hear a guitar, and I do fretless bass as the passing notes. And there's a song called Farewell Horizon that's an instrumental. I have two instrumentals on the record, but and that song has three basses on it. You that's know, cool. all doing different complementary parts. And so it's got, it's that one, it's really unique. Um, the other instrumental was the first song that I wrote um, when the pandemic hit. You know, I'm looking around and everything's apocalyptic looking. Nobody's in the streets. All the cities are empty. So I wrote the song with that feeling and I edited together a video uh, with drone footage of Paris and New York and every, every place with no human beings. And um, except for one character that I had in a hazmat suit in it. But um, anyway, I put that out myself. I put it up and uh, Troy Laquetta you might know from Tesla, which down he goes, man, this track is cool. It sounds great with drums. I said, go for it. You know, so he threw drums on it. And um, another friend of mine named Alan Hines, who's a, um, a huge uh, jazz fusion guitar player here in LA. Um, he threw me some solos that I edited together, creating the melody part. And then I reached out to Derek Sherinian uh, from Dream Theater, do some, some strings and move and theremin on it. And, um, and it all kind of came together. So I, I edited them in some of them into the video. Troy and, and Alan are in, in a new version of the video. I put that out uh, myself, and and so I had that. I did a video for Army of Me, um, and all the time, all this time, I'm like writing song ideas and finishing them at different, reaching out to different friends, sending them a track, going, "Hey, what do you think? Do you like this? It's cool, right?" And and they they um, every one of them said that they would be into. Uh, you know, doing doing something on the record on whatever I set them, I thought they'd be right for it. So I ended up having forty one guests 
Wow. The song Weight of Silence, um, unbeknownst to me, was was nominated for and won Best Best Instrumental and, and Best Video um, Rock Music Alliance Awards and was presented by Tony KBS. And I was up against John Five and uh, Joe Sapriani wow. category on the uh, instrumental thing. So it's very surprising to me and unexpected. And um, I basically had five tunes together. That, and then I go, wow, I think I've got something here, you know. And I had some other songs kind of finished and not finished. And so I, I approached some labels and Cleopatra Records, um, saw the vision, and they, they signed it. And, um, you know, I was able to actually have got real CD out there. You can get on Amazon or Cleopatra website, and it's everywhere on Spotify and YouTube, wherever. There are four music videos up that I did um, on YouTube, but there's also every track is up. So you can just get it. My my main thing is I just want people to hear this so they can see what, what I'm about. Because the record feels cinematic and it kind of feels like a concept album, even though it's not. Yeah. But it kind of feels like, and it was written during kind of a dark era, you know, with the, with, um, with COVID. Daily reports of death and everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's amazing that Pat Torpy is on the album. Um, so. Yeah. He, he was one of my best. He was a super close friend. I mean, we, we had a band in 1983 called Exposure. Oh, really? With, uh, yeah, with John Prudell, um, who uh, went on. To, John Prudell went on to actually work on the QR3 album with Choir Riot keyboards. I, you know, I got him involved in that. And then he went on to to co-produce with Tom Worm and doing Mop the Crew. Whenever you hear "Girls, Girls, Girls," when you hear the chorus, yeah, that's John's. That's John's voice. Oh, and really? All that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And he played. Uh, uh, no more tears all that that's him playing all the keyboards he worked right. on the Aussie records yeah and he's he was the lead singer and he played keyboards in that band it was he, yeah. and then him and it was him and Dwayne Barron right that worked together is that correct yeah Dwayne Barron's engineer good yeah that's and, right and I first met Dwayne when we were doing the demos for uh, which became the mental health record wow so many years ago yeah and he's a Canadian <laughs> oh is he I didn't know that yeah, yeah, he's Canadian. I actually uh, he lives here, but yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, they did a bunch of albums that I really like. When they went, oh, you know, like when they broke yeah, away yeah. from Tom, like I think they did a Tangier album, and they did Kicks. They did Kicks, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think they might have done a Junkyard album too. And they all sound, they all sound phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, rock. They're real, really great. And John, John was one of my closest friends. Sadly, he passed away. Uh, the day before his 45th birthday. Wow. Too young. Uh, yeah. You know, and just, yeah, I really close. I mean, same thing. It's like I've lost a lot of, of close friends, which one of the songs on my album is see, it's called See You on the Other Side. Um, came about, I got the phone call about Frankie passing away and, and it brought back all those feelings of, you know, losing my friends and my mom and everybody. And I just sat down and wrote um, the, the song top to bottom. I had the chorus came, just came out. You know, and, and um, I, fi- I finished the verses with uh, a singer that I had been working with named August Young, who had been working with Frankie in a, in a band. That. So, yeah, you know, different things inspire you to write, you know, songs. And that, that was one that just happened. And I mean, I'm sure it was therapy in some way, too, as well. Yeah, it is. And it, it's a song of hope, you know. It's, it's yeah. basically, I'll see you, see you on the other side. I know you're gone now, but we'll meet again. I will see you again. Now... I'm curious about, I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned Lanny Cordola and, yeah. um, I mean, he's kind of, he's doing something really 
different now too. He's over in Afghanistan, well, right? That's why he. That's why he didn't finish out the songs with me, and why he's not in the videos is he went to Afghanistan and started a music school for young women. Yeah. And and you know like young girls from like what seven to like fourteen or something, and which is kind of unique and unusual. I'm not really sure how he got involved in that whole thing, but. Um, and he, he's done videos with, with Sammy Hagar and, and uh, Brian Wilson and all these big name people with the girls, like they would film their part. And then these guys would get involved That's to raise cool. awareness. Uh, they're called the miraculous love kids, uh, org. Um, and then, you know, the Taliban took, took the country back and he happened to be, he happened to be out of there. Um, when that happened, he was in Pakistan when it fell and he spent the last six to eight months getting his girls out and they're all in Pakistan now. And he's trying to find them a location in Europe or, or the United States or somewhere right now to go to. Wow. But yeah, he, he, he became Gandhi as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. No he kidding. Went, wow. He went from this wild man, rock and roll guy that I knew <laughs> back when we were touring house of Lords to, to doing that. And, and in the nineties, you know, we did, um, a bunch of film scoring projects together and we did a bunch of different albums some of my favorite albums there's a thing called chaos is the poetry that i love greg bissonette's the drummer on it oh that's um, cool you know from from the um david Lee Roth band. yeah and he plays the ringo now but you know just really really eclectic and cool music and we did we did two reggae records together we did an ambient trance record um so the 90s for me were were experimental and we were just producing records uh, back then, and I did some touring uh, with Quiet Riot um, in the early 90s. Yeah. But um, back, you know, and then eventually, I think I mentioned earlier, I, uh, at the end of, of that decade, I hooked up with Ronnie Montrose. Right. And started playing in Montrose. That's cool. And Pat Torpy was actually the drummer in that. And then he, he left, and we got Eric Singer, who oh, you wow. know from Kiss. Yeah. And Eric was doing Alice Cooper and asked me if I'd be up for trying out for Alice Cooper. And I said, he told me about the huge tour they were doing 75 cities, 70 countries. And, um, I said, yeah, definitely. You know? Um, so I checked it out. I got the gig and then I told Ronnie what was going on. And I said, I've got the perfect bass player for you. His name is Ricky Phillips yeah. and the baby in bad English. Yeah. Super close friend. And they hit it off. He's from Northern California, like, like, um, Ronnie and, they hit it off great. In fact, Ricky did a posthumous album for him, a material that wasn't finished, and he finished it out with a bunch of, of people. It's called, I think it's called Ten or something like that. But anyway, um, you know, so I jumped from that to Alice Cooper, and then from Alice Cooper, I rejoined Quiet Riot, and uh, had been playing live with, with Quiet Riot until um, Kevin's passing right. in 2007. And then I rejoined again in 2011, and then, yeah, you've been, so how many how many times have you been in and out of Quiet Riot? Do you do you recall? You know, I haven't said. I'm guessing between four and five really? times. You know, in and out for various reasons, my choice, their choice, timing. You know, Rudy wanting to come back and or whatever the case may be. However, it worked out. Yeah. Um, it's just it's and it actually came at a great time for me this time because I with the solo record and I. I the next day, I got this great gig with with the Legends of Classic Rock, which I've had one of the best years of my life this year. Yeah. Seeing it in so many beautiful places with a with a bunch of great guys and a killer band. We're playing Friday night actually in Atlanta at the Innovation Amphitheater. We're headlining that. Cool. 
Yeah, yeah. That it's sounds a, exciting. I mean, you ex- kind of explained it to me before we went on air, and yeah, I was like, wow, it's, it's some it's, of the places yeah. you went to. Yeah, we went to some amazing places in Europe, and, and the band, um, you know, we do songs from, from the guys in the band's catalog and songs that really inspired us to play yeah. in the first place, so it's pretty cool. That's awesome. I often, I often wondered, I mean, with Lanny, were you, had you already left Jafria when Lanny came into the band? Yeah, at, at that point, I left Jafria with Goldie, who went on to play with Dio, yeah. for the, the same reason, and that is... I'll never forget the conversation. We were sitting backstage um, right before we went to Japan. And we were, you know, in the dressing room at an arena we were doing with, with Foreigner. And we started talking about the next album. And Greg and Dave goes, well, you guys know that nobody else is writing in the band. It's just the two of us. Oh. We went, what? Yeah. And they, you know, like, like the first album. They go, yeah, it's just going to be the two of us. You guys. So basically, we're being relegated to side guys. And, um, and we said, that ain't gonna happen. And at that time, um, I got a call from Kevin and he said, "Hey, Rudy just left the band. Would you like to to come in and do this next album with us?" And um, I ended up being a writer on every song on QR three, yeah. and um, you know we did the subsequent tour behind it, um, behind the album, and um, and then when Kevin left, I left too. And then I I did Pelletary with Graham Bonnet and Pat Torpy again. I was on that. And um, then uh, and then we, I was asked by Greg to do uh, House of Lords. And of course, I said to Greg, I go, well, you know, yeah, this is great, but do I get to write this time? <laughs> yeah. He said, yeah, everybody's going to be involved in the writing, you know? Wow. So uh, that's how that all came together. So you never, so Paul Sartina was, you were never in the band with when he joined? No, Quiet, right? uh, actually, actually, when Paul was coming into the band, um, I was still there, but knowing the politics of Paul and Wendy Dio and our manager and the record label all right. and all that stuff that was going on, yeah. um, I just, I just said, no, I'm out of here. You know, it's not, I just didn't see that looking like a good situation to be involved in. And honestly, I think the record they did is great, but I, I love think that record. I think they would have been better off, honestly, if they would have not used the quiet riot name and just used a new band name because it's really good. It stands on its own. It didn't really sound like Quiet Riot. No. Um, you know, and if they would have called it something else, you know, I think they would have had a, a, a better situation and career with it, um, with that band, with that particular lineup. It's a really good band, but, um, yeah. you know, uh, they, they decided, I guess there was more dollars involved if they called it Quiet Riot than not. It was kind so, of weird because I remember, I remember Rudy came back briefly after you had left, Rudy was, and they, there was like magazine photos with him. And then he left, he left again and went to Whitesnake and then Sean McNabb came in. It was really bizarre. I don't remember Rudy coming back during that period. I just remember Sean coming in. Yeah, it was, they, they, I remember, do you remember that magazine Blast? Do you remember that yeah. magazine? And, yeah, I do. And maybe they ran some old pictures. I don't know. I they ran, they ran a picture. Paul with, in the picture? What's that? Yeah, with Paul. Paul was in the picture and Rudy was there too. I'm learning something new. <laughs> it was it was it was it it wasn't very long. He wasn't there very long, and then yeah. Well, he's he's uh, like me. He's been in a lot of bands. Yeah, you know he's 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 been very blessed in that he's gotten into bands right when they were hitting huge success. After the records were done, he came in and rode the wave. You know, like the the big tours and all that. So 
Yeah, and with, with Ozzy, with White Snake. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's been very lucky. I mean, yeah. QR3 is actually probably one of my favorite Quiet Ride albums. Thanks. Uh, I hear that a lot from people. Uh, oddly enough, it's it, to me, it's, it seems very different. Yeah. Again, from what Quiet Riot was really about, but the the glue that keeps it quiet. I love the vibe of it. It's Kevin's voice. Yeah, the vibe's cool. I mean, you hear on my solo album, there's some of those elements in there with the the depth of with keyboards and different things in it. Well, I mean, you, know. you I mean, you did bass case on that, which was more or less a bass. Well, solo. yeah, ba- it was a bass solo, and it's it's twelve tracks of basses playing, it. not all at the same time, of course, but. Um, that came about. It's kind of a jazz fusion piece, and actually, that would fit on my record. Yeah. Um, it it uh, that came about because Carlos was supposed to have a a, um, a classical guitar piece finished and together, and he just never could get it together for that. Oh. So I said, I raised my hand. I go, I have something, and I pre-recorded it over at John Ferdell's so I could show them what it was, and everybody goes, Oh, this is great! And it, you know, it's only a minute long, but it it has a lot in it in a minute's time there's a lot of musicality going on there with that i'm playing tapping i'm doing fretless i'm doing all this different all these harmonic bass there's even a synthesizer bass it's a pretty interesting piece it is i i listened to it today actually just before i was oh, cool because i wanted to talk about it and i was because i always yeah. thought it was so cool right well you're the first guy that's out of all these interviews that I've done over the years that brings up that song, which I'm really happy about. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I mean, the album was different for Quiet Riot, but I think, honestly, I think it was the first Quiet Riot album I actually bought. I was, you know, like 86, and and yeah. I always loved The Wild and the Young and Main Attraction and Twilight Hotel, yeah. and then as you get deeper in the album, it's just got this, there's just that vibe well, about it. And, and I, I really believe that uh, a couple things that album and the band's uh, career at the time could have been continued in a, in a larger scale like it should have if, one, Kevin was a little bit more, you know, humble yeah. <laughs> about things and not, he was, he was, he would do ill-advised interviews a lot. Um, I remember. You know, I don't know if you remember back then and we kind of became a hated band because of that. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is, is we made this brilliant video with Jeff Stein, you might know who did the Who, um, movie um documentary and uh it's a brilliant video for wild and young yeah. and at the time as you know in the in the mid 80s mtv was all powerful yeah and you know and they had this show where they pitted videos against each other right and and um david lee roth had just released yankee rose oh. and that was the hottest thing you know jesus you know a killer band with the singer from van halen right that yeah. just came out the week before, and they decided to put our video up against it the second week. Yeah, I'm going. You got to be kidding me! Give us like a like three or four weeks. <laughs> you know, give us a chance. But yeah. sure enough, it, it came. You know, we didn't beat David Lee Roth when he's just coming out of the box. Even though our video is killer, yeah. it's still I still look at it once in a while, and I I think it's awesome. In the future, rock no rock and roll. I loved it. I loved that video. Yeah, Wink Martindale, no rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah, it's so pretty cool. cool. And those weren't there guys in like iron suits and stuff, and the like or something. I can't. It's been a long time since I seen it. They have well, our shields or something. Um, we well, well, no, there wasn't, but there were. Um, there were actually. You're right. There were military. Right. Uh, where they all pointed down to shoot us, and yeah, we actually a got time. a bunch of a bunch of bad guitars uh, from from Jackson that were never going to be sold or used, and threw them in tree mulchers. You know, like they would take the, the right. police officer, 
the military guy would take the guitar, went throw it the tree mulcher, and we got a bunch of you know flack for that because we were ruining guitars, but they were never playable to begin with. I just remember back then, and and that was the height of censorship too. Um, yeah, PMRC type so, of thing. Yeah, where the exactly, and so there was a whole the way it ends is no rock and roll. They closed it. You know, it's like that. A lot of censorship with lyrics and all that um, back then, where they were labeling the records. And actually, what they found out was that when you label the record, it sells more. <laughs> I remember because <laughs> I would be buying. I was a kid, so hey, I, forbidden fruit, right? That's you right. I was. I mean, when Guns and Roses came out, oh, there's yeah. a label on this. I got to buy this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it worked reverse, you know. Yeah, exactly. Psychology. Now, now one of the forgotten Quiet Riot albums, I think it's forgotten, is Down to the Bone, which. I believe yeah. you played on. Um, I did play, yeah, and I helped put the songs together as far as arranging and, and worked with everybody on it. Um, and I agree with you. I, mean, I think it's it still stands up. There's some really great performances on it. Kevin sang great. Um, and, you know, they didn't have a huge budget back then to yeah. record it properly. It might have sounded a little bit better than it, than it does, but um, I think the, the songwriting and the performances are really good. Yeah, it's very, it's, I mean, it was such a bizarre time, right? 1995 and... Yeah, it's like, it was grunge era. It's like, yeah. you know, we were playing like clubs, little clubs everywhere. It's crazy. You know, just trying and to get by. It, you know, that's, it's like this, and now I can't, and then it, you know, it came back, people started to dig it again. You know? It was hard for me, like, I don't remember, I didn't buy it until years later on eBay. Because I was trying to hunt this thing down, it was hard to find. Oh, okay. Right, so, I mean... I had Terrified when it came out, which you weren't on, I don't think. And I, I only sang on it. Did you, I, they wanted I keep, like that album. They wanted too. to keep, it's a good album. They wanted to keep the same vocal sound, right. which was created with, with Kevin, myself, and Carlos singing the same note uh-huh. and four registers, you know, multiple, multiple times, a bunch of times. And that's how we got that sound. Because Frankie doesn't play on that either, does he? I don't think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does he play on Terrified? I thought Bobby yeah. Rondinelli did, but I... No, Bobby was just in a touring thing. It was that, in the touring uh, thing with Kevin, yeah. Kevin. That's all off the top of my head. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, it's, it was a long time ago. So. It was. I just, that was 30 years ago. Yeah, so, I mean, getting back to that album, I had a hard time finding it. And I think, I think at the time, I ended up paying like 30 or $40 about 15, 20 years wow. ago to get it. Wow. And... Um, I, I never saw it when it came out. I know it, it was released in North America, but it was one of those things that was hard to find. Maybe if you had gone downtown Toronto, like the HMV store that used to be on Young Street, you might have found it, but you weren't finding it in a normal record store. Hmm. Which is unfortunate, I mean. Yeah, well, that that was even back in the 80s when I was with Jafria, we had a hit single. We're on a sold-out tour with Deep Purple and with Foreigner, and we go to the record stores, and you couldn't find a record. That's crazy. It was. I, I, it didn't make sense to me. I go, why are we out here? It's like, I'm out here to promote an album that you can't buy. So it was so ridiculous. I'm still trying to find that one on vinyl. I don't have it on vinyl. I have the. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I have. I have. I have the second album, and I have it. The first one on disc, which was the ox. The one on Axe Killer, I think it was, the reissue. Yeah, a re-release, yeah, of it. Yeah. And and that's a record, that first Jafria record, it's really strong musically. I just wish, it, you know, Andy Johns, who, you know, people might know him from working with the Stones and Zep and Van Halen and all that. He just, he told me when we were 
He goes, I really don't know how to mix. He goes, I just, oh. I'm going great. So, but when you hear it, it's like way too much. To me, I wish that that album and the first House of Lords record that Andy did with us could be remixed. Yeah. Uh, it's hard for me. To li- There's so so much reverb on everything. It's hard for me to even listen to it. So. What was it like live? Like Jeffrey, like was it different than the album sounded? Oh, yeah. Well, it's way more aggressive sounding. Yeah. I mean, the band, the, check this out. The band, we're, we're doing our first show with Deep Purple, right? And we're all excited. And that energy that you have from, you know, I, the, I can't even explain to people what it's like to be standing backstage when the arena lights go off. And you hear the crowd for the first time. It just it's just remarkable. And we took that energy on stage and we did an amazing kick ass show. The audience went crazy. The next day, our managers told us, You guys are off the tour. We go, What? what? And they go, Well, you can stay on the tour. Richie Blackmore um, is the person. He said he, he goes, You guys can only stay on this tour if you A cut out your last song which was our big ending up-tempo up killer song. Cut out Craig Goldie's guitar solo. He used to do a solo where Dave Isley would hold the guitar up like this, like a, and he'd play it like a keyboard. It was pretty awesome. I mean, nobody, that sounds amazing. nobody's done that, right? Yeah. And they cut, our, they cut our set from 45 minutes to 27 minutes. They made us go on five minutes before the announced showtime. They took away our crew meals. They took away half the sound, half the lights, and they taped where we could walk they tried to make it as miserable for us as possible um, just because we kicked ass on the first night that's horrible Richie got all freaked out well we got a little bit even you know not that not that it's cool I mean we still went over without the last song we you know the the band did did good Um, we were able to after about two months I think of that um, we jumped onto the Foreigner tour and they had a number one song with I Want to Know What Love Is they treated us great it was a better audience. It was a lot more female demographic in the yeah. crowd, which was better for our single, which was called Your Heart, which is that kind of song. So, but what the Purple didn't realize is our managers controlled Midwest radio <sighs> and they lost like, I think 45 or 50 stations that week on their single and their, wow. their album started tanking. Was that Perfect because, Strangers album? Yeah, the Perfect Strangers album because of what they did to us. And, and then on the last night... <laughs> This is a funny story. I don't think I've ever told this one. On the last night of the tour, um, uh, I think it's in the Perfect Strangers song where they go, they have all these lasers going. And it's a big highlight in their show, right? Yeah. We're, I think we're playing at the Spectrum in Philadelphia, which is, I don't think it's there anymore. But suddenly, for some unknown reason, all the lights went out. All, all the power went down. What happened? Completely <laughs> no crushed the show. Huh? No way. That's cool. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's kind of fun. I mean, that's. I mean, you guys are probably going. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's like you know. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. Yeah, wow. kind of wrenching the gears for that one, but yeah, you know. Wow, anyway, so I mean, yeah. the for the foreigner audience would have been. I mean, like you said, it was probably more of a better demographic. It was. A, it wasn't actually. It was actually. Well, you know what? Jeffrey Alive. We had some pretty aggressive, heavier songs. Yeah. You know, and with Craig Goldley, the way he played guitar. Oh man! Um, yeah. But but yeah, the you know when we're doing a song like "Called Your Heart," it's going to go over bigger with a foreigner type crowd, definitely. Yeah. Um, in fact, they they uh, were doing a video for I think it was a song called "That Was Yesterday," and they were doing flyovers of, of the audience and all that, but it was our audience because our audience was more animated 
they were like more, you know, because we were more of aggressive type band. They were kind of passive. I mean, take nothing away from it. It was a hit after hit after hit after hit show. But as his performance in the show, they're kind of mellow. Right. You know, where we were really super aggressive. Dave's flying all over the place, like David Lee Roth kind of vibe live. And uh, so the audience was really animated. So they filmed our crowd and used it in their video. Wow. Did, um, did you get 45 minutes on that tour though? Yeah, we got a, we got our, our full opening. I mean, set. they treated us great. I mean, Lou Grand took us out to his restaurant in Rochester that he owns and um, had dinner with him. And yeah, he's great. That's amazing. Excellent. Really great band. I mean, you guys, I mean, getting back to the deep purple thing, you guys must've been frustrated by that though. Well, you know what? I, I think the person that was disappointed the most was Craig Goldie because he was such a big fan of Richie Blackmore's. Oh. And to have Richie, you know, be like that. And, you know, one of Richie's routines also was he would have a guitar, the uh, Stratocaster, that would break away and right. then go back together. And he'd sit it on a chair and he'd kick soccer balls at it. That's <laughs> like weird, quirky. And he would, like, he would get on stage when we're playing and he would go mess with our mix. Really? Yeah, yeah. Just. Oh, man. Uh, I know. It's whatever. I mean, you probably so wouldn't be. You probably. I was a big, you know, in rock when I was, you know, yeah. very young kid. That was a big influence on me. I love that album, Speed King, and all that. And and they were, forget everything that they did to us. They were every night amazing. Yeah. You know, I remember one night Richie was mad because there was press taking notes. He refused to come out and do Smoke on the Water in the place. This was in Cleveland. Everybody picked up their chairs and threw their chairs at the at the uh, stage. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's crazy. How many dates did you end up doing with them? Do you recall? I just remember it was a couple months, and we were doing like maybe five shows a week, something like that. Wow. It was a bus tour. My first experience doing that. I had a great time. Yeah. I mean, that was a highlight. Those both those tours were, you know, when I when I go back in time and think about that, that was that was great, you know. I mean, it must have been good momentum for the band though. I mean, you're getting to play well, for those yeah, audiences. It was. We we were getting in front of audiences, but again, they couldn't go buy our record because it wasn't anywhere yeah. to be found. What's with that? I mean, we did send people out. Hey, could you go? You know, like, you know, people like in Dallas or wherever. Yeah. Hey, could you go to the record store and see if I don't? No, no. We actually, they set up an in-store for us. And this is Spinal Tap. We go down there to do an in-store signed product and they didn't have it. So it's just. Really? You know. Didn't that? Yeah. That's total Seriously? Spinal Tap. Yeah. It's, it's very frustrating. Yeah. That's crazy. And that was MCA, right? Was that yeah, MCA? That was, it was on MCA, yeah. Man, that's crazy. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, oh. so that was then, you know, and uh, it's been, you know, my career has been like a roller coaster and um, like a lot of people, um, and, you know, in and out of a lot of bands doing a lot of albums, a lot of sessions, and, and when I can. And uh, I've had a, a local acoustic group called Acoustic Saints with violin, mandolin, and uh, reinterpreting classic rock stuff that I love playing with. I just do that because I love it. That's cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's you know, cool. I'm always trying to keep busy. And I do Ultimate Jam Night. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's a, um, I started in 2015. Um, DJs are starting to take over Los Angeles, and, you know, musicians were, we really needed a place to socialize, get together. So I started it, and it became this huge thing. And we went, it was weekly, um, until uh, the pandemic hit. And then we started back this past year um, every other week. 
then I got busy in Europe. So now it's, we're, our next show is December 6th. And it's a themed show. It's immersive. And I coordinate between 45 and 100 professional musicians to come down. And it's a free show. It's for the community. Um, and um, it's you can see it if you want to know about it, anybody listening out there, uh, ultimatejamnight.com. I mean, I've had Dee Snyder, Robin Sander, wow. Doug Penning. Yeah. I've had Motorhead guys after Lemmy passed. You know, they came down and we did a Lemmy night. Um, we tried to do um, a reunion of the Eat and Smile band. Um, I remember you know, that, yeah. David Lee, Roth band. And yeah. David Lee Roth was there, but the club kept letting in. This is a different club. They kept letting people in, you know. They got I, shut so, down, right? Yeah, I was fighting with them. I go, you can't keep letting people in. And they just said, no, let them, you know, so. That would have yeah, been of course, the, right before they were going to start, the fire marshal shut it down. You know, but we did get that band together uh, again to play live at, at the NAM show in Anaheim. So we did an Ultimate Jam Night NAM show. And Jeff Scott Soto actually sent me for him. That's good. Because we couldn't get David down to Anaheim. I mean, I think it would be amazing if they got together again. If they did, you know, a tour well, or something. You know, it would be great. But I mean, I don't know if you've seen Dave lately or what he's saying. I know. I know. It's, I wish. It's, I wish we could get him back the way he was when he started out. I remember I saw Van Halen at the, a place called the Starwood here in Hollywood yep. with 30 people in the crowd. That's crazy. You know? And I'll never forget my impression of this band was, man, the singer's a direct ripoff of, of Jim Dandy. Dandy. Total. Yeah. The way he talked to the crowd. Hey, I have nasty. All this whatever. Yeah. And his outfit, the hair, all of that. I thought the guitar player was amazing. I go, wow, who is this guy? Yeah. And that's what I, and I thought the rhythm section was really good. And they had good rock and tunes. But, you know, I never knew that they were going to blow up like they did. It's crazy, right? Yeah, it's, and I, it's great. I mean, Dave, Dave Lee Roth took Jim Dandy to the, to the next level, right? Yeah, well, hey, when you think of a, you know, rock star lead singer persona, that's, you know, it's David Lee Roth and... Mick Jagger and Steve Tyler come to my mind. Exactly. Yeah, me know, too. They yeah. all have that same flavor. Robert Plant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's not as flamboyant as those three guys. Well, that's true. That's true. Robert's kind of been very calm. He's a presence. Yeah. But those three guys are like, ah, they're all over the place dancing and going yeah. nuts, right? I guess maybe Freddie Mercury too. Yeah. Maybe, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. He's, he was one of the best Bowie. You know. Wow. I mean, there is one more House I had a House of Lords question for you. The, the second album, which was Sahara. Did Doug Aldridge play all the guitars on that album? He played 95% of it um, on the album. And the reason his picture isn't there is because he was going to go to Hurricane? Do this, this Hurricane tour and couldn't, didn't, couldn't do the tour. And the label and every management all thought, well, we shouldn't have pictures with a guy that's not going to be in the band or videos. Yeah. So um, Greg decided to get this guy that gave us a tape that was brilliant. A cassette, and he did it solo on the album, which was pretty good. And um, and he did the videos, and and he looked great, and he mimicked everything. But when we went to rehearse, he couldn't play through a song. Yeah, totally. The person on that tape that we heard was Mitch Perry. It wasn't him. Anyway, so this person, um, our bad for not vetting him more and saying, let's get in a room and play with him and make sure we have a chemistry and all That's that, crazy. which is what we do. But we were in such a mode mode go 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 rush 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 kind of thing and greg was more run of uh, running a lot of the shots and the manager at the time um we ended up ripping us all off or except for greg ripped us off bad but um 
anyway, um, yeah, so we ended up with the guitar player. They couldn't get through the songs, and then Doug's tour didn't happen. And so Doug joined us and did that tour, That's right. um, which was a really killer tour with Nelson and, you know, a female audience. Again, That's a great, they, great lineup. 80, 85%. Yeah, yeah, so it was a really good tour. Uh, we did Cheap Trick um, before that, though. Not the Sahara tour, but the tour before that was Cheap Trick had a, the song The Flame um, was out, and uh, we toured with them. I actually got to sing on one of their albums because we I was in this, at the same studio and asked me to come in and sing it, which is kind of cool. That's cool. Was was yeah. on the second album was was Gene still involved with Simmons Rock? Oh yeah, as oh, much. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Gene was Gene. It was Gene's thing. Yeah, he he wasn't as hands on with the band because he didn't really need to be because we everybody was a seasoned professional and you know. Yeah. Um, I, my only wish for for that is that he would have. Um, done his custom label deal with a rock label and not a country label. Which so was RCA, they, right? Yeah, RCA. They didn't really have a, uh, a rock promotional team together. You know, they had some really, some good people there, but uh, um, overall, they really weren't a rock. I mean, we had the most requested song in rock radio in 1990, I think it was, with Can't Find a Remake of Can't Find My Way Home, and they couldn't do anything. That's an amazing version. Of that song. Thanks. Yeah, I think Doug's that's one of Doug's best guitar solos that he's ever played. My phenomenal James song. James's vocals are phenomenal. I mean, that's a great album, and yeah. that's that's one I've been trying to find on vinyl. You can get it in Europe, but I don't have it yet. Oh. But I found I found actually I found the first album when I was in Portugal on vinyl. Oh, yeah, which was which was a good find. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I don't even think I have it. Oh no. No, I don't think so. I don't know. I have to look. I don't think I have it. No. That's cool. Well, Chuck, I really want to thank you for joining me today. It was truly a pleasure. It was great to hear oh, yeah. all your stories, man. Thank you so much. Well, we could, we could probably talk for a few more hours, but I appreciate it. And thanks for uh, checking out um, my record, uh, Chuck Wright Sheltering Sky. Yeah. And everybody, you can go on YouTube and you can listen to it, or you can go to Amazon and get it, or you can go to Spotify and listen to it. Um, and check it out. There's a, some amazing performances by a lot of great, really great friends, and uh, I'm very proud of the work. Yeah, and I, I actually, when I was on YouTube, there is a link to Cleopatra on YouTube when you watch. Oh, good. When you watch the videos, so if okay. anybody looking for a physical copy, you can actually click yeah. on that, which is you can, which is good. Yeah, Amazon's easy too. Yeah, it's Amazon. Yeah, both good. Right on. Okay, well, Chuck, thanks so much again. Nice talking to you. You too. Keep Thanks. Fresh, right? Yes, absolutely. Cheers. Cheers.